She was the Nazis' most famous victim. But who was Anne Frank? In 2019, the 90th anniversary of her birth, we look at her life in our series of minute biographies today on Hijacking History. Annalise Frank, or Anna Frank, was born in Frankfurt, Germany on June 12, 1929. She would grow up to become the best-known victim of the Holocaust, as well as a writer of genius symbolizing millions of lives extinguished by hate. Her father was Otto Frank, a businessman and a German veteran of the First World War, while her mother was Edith Hollander. In many ways, Otto was the perfect German citizen. In addition to his wartime service, he was an always enterprising businessman and a doting and near-perfect father. The Franks were thoroughly assimilated and non-practicing Jews, living comfortably in Frankfurt when Hitler came to power in 1933. Anna was one of two children, and her arrival rounded out the family with her sister Margot, her senior. As they grew up, the Frank children, both gifted, displayed very different personalities. Margot was quiet and thoughtful, adept in what we would now call STEM subjects. She was closest to her mother. Anna was mischievous, lively, and closer in personality to her father, who invariably tolerated and indulged her childhood antics. She was the reader of the family and was interested in writing, from the time she and Margot were in school. The Franks were able to get out of Nazi Germany early. Otto relocated his business to Amsterdam in 1933, and he was joined by his family the following year. He could have established his business in Switzerland, as did his cousin, a choice that would prove fatal for his family. But he remembered that the Germans had not occupied Holland in the First World War and like so many others, he assumed that the future would resemble the past. In Amsterdam, Otto established his family in a development called Mervedeplein, modern housing that still exists today. His business was the Opecta establishment, making fruit derivatives from pectin. After Germany occupied Holland in the invasion of the Benelux nations in May 1940, the Nazis imposed restrictions on Jews, each one following another in a steady tightening, forcing Otto to invest all his efforts and creativity in finding escape routes for his family. In order to retain a job, he transferred title to his pectin business on the Amsterdam Canal Street, Prinzengraft, to his non-Jewish colleagues, Johannes Kleiman and Jan Hees. Kleiman and Hees were thoroughly sympathetic to the welfare of the Franks. Otto's decision to resign as director in their favor was an arrangement designed to save the Franks, as was their agreement to hide the Frank family in the back house of the business for the duration of the war. This decision was obviously of enormous risk to the Kleimans and the Heeses. Jan's wife, Miep, a favorite of Anna's, worked at the firm. Perhaps the most important reason that the Franks survived in hiding for as long as they did was because of the dedication of all these people. 
but especially Meep and Jan Hees, to buy and bring them food and assist with their efforts at concealment. Not putting all his eggs in one basket, and before he moved his family to the Prinzengraft, Otto worked with his colleagues to outfit a hiding place at the Pectacon business. At the same time, he wrote to a brother in the United States requesting help to secure visas to take his family to America. But although the brother agreed to try, he was too financially insecure to sponsor the Frank family. Even if he were not, America's stringent immigration restrictions and the Franks' own precarious finances posed an almost insurmountable obstacle to the securing of visas. This was especially tragic since both the German and Dutch immigration quotas under American law were undersubscribed in 1940. But it was scarcely surprising since State Department policy, influenced by anti-Semitism, was in effect designed not to assist, but to thwart Jewish emigration to America. After being turned down by the Americans, the Frank family finalized their plan to move secretly to the concealed back house at Pecticon. Their move there on July 6, 1942, was sped up by an order from the authorities for Margot to report to a work camp, a possible prelude to deportation. The family left their things at the Merveda Plain apartment in disarray with a note implying that they had gone to Switzerland. By the time the note was discovered, they had walked several miles to the business on the Prinzengraft and were ensconced there. They would remain in hiding there for more than two years. One of the things Anna brought with her was a 13th birthday present that Otto had given her the month before, a red and black checked writing book that Anne decided to use as a diary. She could vent her frustrations through her writings, as well as improve her learning at a time when schooling was unavailable. The secret annex was a pressure cooker for all involved, but especially for the occupants who increased in number over time. In addition to the four members of the Frank family, four others joined the group within a year, including a middle-aged dentist, Fritz Pfeffer, with whom Anne had to share her room. The living requirements were nearly unbearable. The group had to maintain absolute silence during the day and forego use of any lavatories at that time, lest their presence be discovered by the workers below. During the evening hours, Meep Kees and a secretary, Bep Foskule, would take food into the annex and update the residents on the latest news involving the treatment of Amsterdam's Jews, which steadily grew worse. Occasionally, burglars entered the building at night and were startled to hear toilets flushing in a building supposedly unoccupied. Rumors sometimes circulated in the neighborhood and even among the workers that strange things were happening in the Pecticon building. The constant danger of betrayal and discovery was unbearable. Among the residents, Edith took the living conditions worst, falling into a profound depression. In the spring of 1944, a Dutch minister in exile took to British radio, urging Europeans to write about their experiences under Nazi occupation 
for the benefit of the post-war world to come. Excited by the prospect, Anna decided to write in her diary an historical account of her experiences in the hiding place up to the present moment, and then continue on until the end of the war. Anna's diary tracked her worsening relations with her mother, her adoration of Otto, and a growing sense of perspective signaling her maturation as both a young woman and an emerging writer. The diary at first involved daily recapitulations of Anna's thoughts, experiences, and feelings, including her quarrels with her mother and Pfeffer, her appreciation for Meep and Bep, and her first love interest, Peter von Pels, one of the eight in hiding. But in time, she decided to rewrite the diary, transforming it into something other than a mere daily diary. Instead, she became an author, essentially writing an autobiography that would self-consciously reflect and reflect upon the historical importance of the situation in which she lived. The diarist became a chronicler of things unimaginable that only the finest of writers can convey. Yet it is a myth that the diary is a book about the Holocaust. Her diary is not a Holocaust book at all. To be sure, Anna Frank became a victim of the Holocaust as surely as any other victim. But while she was writing her diary, she was in hiding from the Holocaust. Every word she wrote was written before the hiding place was discovered, and she was deported first to Auschwitz and then to Buchenwald. In her diary, she becomes a witness to that which she does not herself experience. But she believed the BBC reports that Jews are being gassed and that the Nazis are determined to do their worst to Jews in Holland and Europe. Anne cheered the successful D-Day invasion in June and mused that the ordeal would soon be over. No one knows who betrayed the Franks and notified the police that Jews were being hidden in the back house of the Pecticon business. An SS contingent barged into the building in the first week of August 1944 and quickly discovered the eight. Meep Hees was threatened, and after the Franks and the others were sent out of the house and eventually to Westerbork, a camp of origin for deportees bound for Auschwitz, the officer in charge inspected the briefcase in which the pages of the diary were hidden. Seeing nothing of value, he dumped all the pages on the floor in disgust. After he left, Meep carefully collected the pages, determined to return them to Anna if and when she returned. She courageously visited Gestapo headquarters, appealing for the release of the Franks, but she was warned off in no uncertain terms. The Franks and the other four residents were deported on the very last train ever to leave Amsterdam for Auschwitz in Poland. Little is known, of course, of the details of their suffering in the Nazi death camps. Because Anna and Margot had matured in hiding, they successfully passed the initial selection that led many to be gassed on their arrival. Edith perished first of exhaustion and illness in January 1945. 
By then, Otto had been separated from his wife and daughters, and Margot and Anne had wrongly come to believe that he had suffered the fate of his wife. The coming of the Russians, who liberated Auschwitz in January, prompted the Nazis to order the remaining Jews on a forced march to Buchenwald in central Germany. Anna and Margot made it there, but developed scabies and then typhus. It is likely that both died in February 1945, seven or eight weeks before the liberation. Otto, because of his World War I experience, was just able to endure the brutal conditions and was the lone survivor of the eight. He returned to Amsterdam at the end of the war in a fruitless search for his children. He died in 1980. The world would know of two diaries of Anne Frank in the post-war years. Both were written by her, but only one was unedited, raw, and real. Otto convinced a publisher to release Het Achterhees, The Back House, in 1947, but he deleted many of the passages in which Anna reflected darkly on her mother and on the world at large, or which he considered too personal. This hopeful, sunny version was further leavened by Hollywood in the 1950s, when a famous Broadway play turned movie portrayed an ecumenical Anne Frank who believed, deep down, that people are really good. Her Judaism was minimized and essentially airbrushed out in order to universalize her suffering and the continuing claims of the war were essentially wrapped in a bow and put on a shelf. Meep Peace had given Otto the entire diary, and later he released it for full publication. This version was so powerful and revealing of life under Nazi occupation that many doubted that Anna really wrote it. But a national study proved its authenticity beyond doubt in the 1980s. Eventually, it was republished in more than 60 languages. What we cannot know is what kind of a writer Anna would have become, or how our world would have been changed by her adult writings in contrast to the impact of her diary. The novelist Francine Prose, in a book about the exegesis of the diary, pronounced her a literary genius. In a way, Anna's symbolism as Hitler's most famous victim has somehow prevented us from recognizing her strength as a writer. We assume that her dramatic situation, not her writing, rocketed her to prominence rather than the qualities of the storyteller herself. But this would be a mistake. Had Anna Frank survived the war, she would be 89 years of age today an entirely reasonable possibility. Her 90th anniversary this coming June will be a cause for reflection. On the walls of her hiding place, now open to the public and still visible today, she had posted pictures of Hollywood movie stars as well as the two English princesses, Elizabeth and Margaret. On a personal note, in 2006, when I visited the hiding place, I was on a trip that would take me a few days later to London, where I visited Westminster Abbey. While we were at the Abbey, my daughter and I happened to see a visit there from the Queen. 
the same Elizabeth revered by Anna Frank, visiting the place for a ceremonial event. Suddenly, time and space seemed to collapse, and the temporal proximity of World War II and the Holocaust to our own time was powerfully brought home. In 1940, when Anna was at the Montessori School with Margot in Amsterdam, she wrote to a young pen pal in Iowa, Juanita Wagner. The two exchanged letters, and Margot sent one of her own to the 10-year-old Iowan. Anna included a postcard of Amsterdam's beautiful canals, while Margot mentioned that she wished that she could live in Switzerland with her cousin Bernd. Margot included some generalities about the political difficulties they were experiencing in Holland, while Juanita spoke of life on a farm with a single parent. Juanita never knew that Anne and Margot were Jews. During the war, she and her sister, in their house on the Iowa Plain, worried together about Anna and Margot, imagining only the possibility of bombs and aerial attacks. Later, they commented that they had never heard anything during the war about the events we now come to call the Holocaust. But like Otto, who said that he only really got to know his daughter through her diary, Juanita came to know Anna after her death through the legacy of her writing. To be remembered after her death was a wish that Anna Frank held dear. Although she could not be rescued, her memory will live on through Earth. her writings, the fondest hope that she recorded in her iconic diary. Thanks for joining me for this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to my podcast, Hijacking History, and please join me for another episode of the minute-by-minute -minute biography series or just another episode of Hijacking History. Until then, happy listening. Audio segments used in this program are provided under a Creative Commons license. They include Amsterdam Bells Birds by Everything Sounds, licensed under the Attribution CC 3.0 unported license, no changes made. Angry Nazi Clatters, by Kinetic Turtle, licensed under the Attribution CC 3.0 unported license, no changes made, and the letter from Anne Frank by Stan Rams, licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial 3.0 unported license, no changes made.